Welcome back to In Search of Tarot, a podcast that examines, questions, and reimagines our approach to life and the cards. Through guest interviews and in-depth discussions, we'll explore and expand the beautiful complexities of spirituality, philosophy, magic, and more. I'm Nick. And I'm Angie. And we're your hosts for this fascinating ride. Thanks for being here with us. Hi, everybody. Um, This is going to be a special solo episode today, just me chatting with you, um, because I want to talk to you about an offering that you may have heard of here on the podcast or may have seen on my Instagram um, or in my newsletter, which is the Meet Me at the Margin virtual queer conference that I am currently in the midst of cultivating and curating and piecing together. Um, It's going to kick off June 4th and it's going to run through June 28th. Uh, So the entire month of pride, as we as we say, we get this month, um, which I feel very conflicted about as anyone queer that's listening to this probably does too. And I'll talk about that in a a little bit, but um, it will run every Sunday and every Wednesday of the month of June. Uh, There'll be two hour sessions in the evenings on Sundays and Wednesdays. And the subtitle of this conference is Restoring Queerness Through a Mystical Lens. So meet me at the margin, restoring queerness through a mystical lens. And so today what I want to do is I want to break down and share with you the origins of the conference, the focus of the conference, the themes of the conference, and where all those ideas came from for me. And to do that, I'm going to kind of break down the title of the conference piece by piece. So I'm going to start by talking about the margin. Um, And this is something that you may have read from me or heard me talk about before. Um, But I want to kind of put it all in one place. I tend to kind of talk about these ideas in chunks and tidbits, you know, here and there on Instagram, on Patreon, all different places. Um, But I wanted to kind of like bring it all together in one episode and talk about it. So where the idea of the margin came from for me was last year I was living in Milwaukee and was not doing very well there. Um, It was a hard place for me for many reasons, um, personal and professional, and I just was not thriving in Milwaukee. Um, Sorry to any Milwaukeeans that are listening. Um, But I had the good fortune of participating in a year-long container that was led by Maria Menes, and Uh, who's been a guest here on the podcast before and who will be guest hosting an upcoming episode. And the way that that container kicked off at the beginning, it was actually in December of 2021, is we were asked to or invited to um, dedicate ourselves to a spirit or a being or a place for the year. Um, Something that would kind of continue to like inspire us and motivate us and uh, provide us with... um, you know, love and support whenever we needed it throughout the course of this year. And I decided to devote myself to Lake Michigan, um, where I was living in Milwaukee was pretty close to the lake. And 
if you've never been to to uh, Milwaukee or to any of the Great Lakes, I mean, it really feels like you're at the ocean. It does not feel like you're at a lake. There's waves and sand beaches, and it, it feels just like the ocean. And so it really was incredibly healing and helpful to me on hard days to go to the lake and just kind of listen. I love the sound of water. Um, I always have. I find it very um, healing and helpful. And I would just go to the lake and sit on the beach and just like listen to the waves. And so I actually started to talk to the lake um, through that devotional practice. Uh, every morning, my drive to work went across a bridge that was right beside the lake. And as I would pull up that on-ramp to the bridge, I would just kind of say, hello, lake, and just kind of start talking and um, listening. And the lake started opening up really immediately. I was kind of amazed. I mean, it, you know, I, I've heard of practices like that of talking to nature in those ways. And to be honest, like, it's not something that I've ever really done, but it, and I thought that it would take a long time, you know, to kind of cultivate that relationship. But for me, at least with the lake, it felt immediately ready to converse with me and respond to me and, and be in, in conversation with me. So as I was developing this relationship with the lake, I was also coming into a re-examination of the masculine mythopoetics movement. Um, and if you're not familiar with that, it's a movement that came up kind of around the 70s and 80s, um, inspired by uh, Jungian psychology and archetypal psychology, and basically invites uh, men or people who identify as uh, in a masculine kind of way that want to kind of connect to that, the idea of masculinity to, uh, there's actually this, uh, uh, quiz that you can take in a book that I read when I was going through my Saturn return in my 30s called King Warrior Magician Lover. And those are four, uh, according to the authors of this book, those are four masculine quote unquote archetypes that you can kind of work with. And this book also is very much tied in with the book Iron John. If you've ever heard of that, that's another text that masculine mythopoetics teachers and um you know, believers kind of often talk about. And, you know, you might be surprised to hear me talking about these things as a non-binary person, but in my, in my third, at, at my Saturn return, when I turned 30, someone in my family uh, suggested these texts to me because we were talking about the difficulty that I've had with my father over the years. And my father and I are estranged and have been estranged for over 10 years now. And, um, this person in my family had found a lot of healing from these texts and was kind of suggesting these texts to me and kind of saying, you know, men don't get enough, um, don't have enough kind of initiatory um, rituals and don't have enough community and don't talk about their emotions enough. And these texts have like really helped me. So interestingly enough, it actually was through those texts that I came to tarot um, because when you take this quiz on these archetypes, it suggests that you um, meditate on images that you're lowest in. So for me, the image of King was the lowest um, that I rated in. And as I started to think, okay, where can I find, you know, good images of Kings that I feel like I want to meditate with? I was like, oh my gosh, the tarot is the perfect place. You know, there's these Kings in the tarot. And quickly abandoned that masculine mythopoetics line of thinking, but stayed with the tarot, you know? And, so this year, or last year, as I was developing this relationship with the lake, there was there were a couple of offerings that came out and came across my field 
um, you know, on Instagram that were offering ways to quote, you know, heal the masculine quote unquote. And we're, we're very much tied to this kind of masculine myth of poetics. And I was really bothered by it. These teachings are very problematic for many reasons, in my opinion, but most particularly because they rely on everyone playing their role. You know, if you frame masculinity in this certain way, then you rely on feminine being this other thing, you know, and, and in order for both versions to remain intact, the other has to play its part. And, and I find that to be very complicated and very problematic and ultimately very limiting for everybody involved. Um, and that's just my personal opinion. But I was kind of, you know, re-examining these things. And through that, I started to question the idea of queering something, you know, and when we hear like to queer or to queer something or queering things, it's kind of relying in a similar way on the non-queer thing as playing its part. And then the queerness as a response to that, you know, this verb of to queer something means to kind of shift or move away from or bend or, you know, change, alchemize something that is a different way, you know, that is the more centered perspective or the more heteronormative perspective. And I was just like, you know, something throughout the course of my spiritual and, and magical journey has just been that I just do not identify a lot of times with the myths and stories that often get um, shared and told, particularly the Roman, the Greco-Roman myths that get kind of, you know, put up on a pedestal in, in Western, you know, centered Western thinking and are so heteronormative. And to me, you know, even when there are queer characters, they are side characters, they are villains, they are, or they are bi, which is totally fine. It's not, I'm, it's not about that not being okay, but there's always some, there's some element of, um, of normativity, quote unquote, as classified by the centered ideology um, that kind of remains intact. And I just have really struggled to find myths that center queerness uh, and that don't rely on heteronormative, you know, perspectives or aren't responses to heteronormativity. And I was like, Can't, is that even possible? Like, what would that be? Could there be such a thing? You know, could there be a queerness without, um, without it being a response to something else? And so one morning as I was driving over this bridge um, with the lake beside me, I asked the lake, how can I locate a queer mythology? And the lake spoke to me or slash I heard in my ears, your myth is not in this lake. Your myth is this lake. Your myth is not in this lake. Your myth is this lake. And it just felt like the biggest light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, what if I'm looking at this? What if we're looking at this all wrong? Like what if queerness is the container and everything else is held within that versus the centered or heteronormative societal view being a container that queerness is kind of off to the side of or a response to like, what if queerness surrounds everything? Like everything is innately queer. This is not a new idea, you know, like other people have said this, but just for me, the way that that came into my mind that day, it felt just like a revelation. And so I started to rethink this idea of being marginalized, you know, or being on the margin 
as the margin being the kind of container or or the the cup or the you know field that everything else is kind of um contained within you know that at the most outer edge is the margin is this queerness is this power this liminal power that kind of everything else kind of emits you know from and is a response to instead of the the reverse where queerness is a response to the center and and it just has been revolutionary and since then i've come across so many texts that have talked about these same kinds of ideas um, you know, I quickly learned I'm by far not the only person that's thought of, of things in this way, but there are sometimes different words that it gets talked about as su such as if you, if you're a reader of queer texts, or if you start to notice, if you read queer authors, look for words like rupture, look for words like, um, deconstruction, look for words like chaos, you know, and think about the unknowability and the liminality and the um potentiality of and the and the um the destructiveness of those things trickster you know in in mythology and in folklore is marginal is the margin you know and for me when i think about this idea of this marginal place what i love about it is that it makes sense because the most marginalized the most um intersectional of identities that that have the most marginal you know intersectional experiences that is the closest that we can get to that which we call truth for lack of a better word and i do not believe that there's an such a thing as an objective truth but when we talk about ineffableness or spirit or you know, the thing that words fail to describe, that is the margin and that is the most intersectional. You know, the closer that you move to the center, the less quote unquote real or true it becomes because it's it leaves out so many pieces, more and more and more pieces of actual lived experience in order to become centered, you know, in order to become the most... Um, sort of lukewarm baseline uh, ness of existence, you know? And so the power lies on the margin where intersectionality occurs and truth gets exploded into our field of vision and we can't look away, you know? And even now, as I'm talking about this, this is something else that I believe firmly about the margin and really love is that as I start to verbalize what this is, as I start to put into words this, you know, ineffable, unknowable, liminal, paradoxical field, I move a little bit away from what it is because the true and real essence and quintessence of existence is you can't put it into words. It's unknowable. It's unspeakable. It, it, it's formless, you know, and it can't be verbalized. And yet we have to try. And so this is something I think about a lot in queer theory and in queer life is that people don't understand us all the time. And sometimes we don't want to be understood because we want to remain intact and in touch with that marginal power, you know? And so if the closer we try to stay to what that is, 
the less clear our language is, the more complicated and complex our thoughts become, and the more illegible then we become to the people that live in the center and are used to only taking in that centered narrative, you know, which is very clear in the center for those who believe and buy into and, and the center works for, but, you know, is not the queer marginal experience. But we can't, we can't put that into words. It's always, it always wants to be more and more wild and more colorful and more free. And there's a real sacrifice that we make to stay true to that part of ourselves where we sacrifice the ability to be understood or we reject the ability to be understood, you know, by the center, you know, maybe we don't even, who cares, like fuck the center, you know, but it does mean that we lack some, some legibility, you know? So these are big complex thoughts and there's a book that I've been working on for over a year now. We'll see if and when it, it, it comes to fruition. I'm, I'm always, you know, in search of an agent or a publisher. If you happen to be listening and know anyone or you are an agent and these ideas sound interesting to you, I have been working on a book about, about these ideas. But coming to the conference now, um, at the start of this year, I reached out to my friend, Jonathan Coe, who, if you've been listening to the podcast, you'll recognize Jonathan has been on the podcast as a guest and then has also been one of our co-hosts uh, or our guest hosts for this past season. Uh, I recommend both those episodes uh, if you want to go back and listen. Um, and I recommend all of Jonathan's teachings and work. And so I reached out to Jonathan, who is a queer, you know, quote unquote, sibling of mine, and was like, I really want to do a queer offering. I've never done a queer centric, queer specific offering. And would you want to do that with me? And Jonathan immediately said yes, and immediately became really interested in healing or working with the stories that we tell about ourselves, which I also love the idea of, because like I said, I feel like our stories, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, obviously our stories are undertold or underrepresented, but also we constantly are being told that we should queer things, that we should feel free to, you know, change and subvert and queer, you know, the narratives that are out there without any acknowledgement, I feel, of the, the, difficulty of that or the just kind of um, flippancy of that. I feel like it's very flippant of people who are not queer to suggest like, oh, just just queer it. You know, you can do whatever. But it's like, well, yeah, but it's still painful that on a daily basis, I'm still confronted with the same narrative. Like, for instance, if I try to queer um, uh, Aphrodite, who who many have queered, I still nine times out of 10 am greeted by a very heteronormative version of Aphrodite, you know, or if I try to queer divine feminine or divine masculine, which are terms that I don't even work with personally, but if I did try to queer those, I would still be greeted again and again and again by a very heteronormative version of that. So I just, I just honestly have abandoned myth personally. Um, I don't find solace in it or help from it. I don't understand why it's help, why it would be helpful to me. It doesn't feel um, relevant to my life today in 2023 or to the things that are happening in the world right now. Um, I'm not trying to say that you shouldn't, anyone that's listening that that loves working with myth. I've talked to many people that do, and I, I can see how it can be helpful, but for me, it just isn't. But what does feel really powerful and important is my story, because if I don't tell my story, someone else is going to, you know, if we don't, if queer people do not take hold of their narrative, others will and have and do and are currently, 
you know, someone is always willing to tell the story. And so I do believe that it's important for us to tell our stories and to work with our stories and to investigate if the stories that are being told about us are actually, ha actually have anything to do with us. You know, do we actually see ourselves in those stories? Do they reflect our experience? Like, who are those characters? What are those narratives? What are those plot twists? You know, what is the shape of that story? You know, is a queer story linear? I do, I do not think so. You know, what shapes is a queer story? You know, or can it be? Um, so I really love this idea of restoring, you know, in the subtitle. And that's what I'm pointing to is what this, con one of the things that this conference is really going to be about is how, what story are you arriving with? Have you even, did you even write that story? Have you taken a moment to investigate that story and question where that story came from? You know, have you consented to that story? And is the story that you're telling about yourself the story that you want to be telling? Does it feel helpful? What would you like to do with your story? What other ways would you like to work with your story, you know, and change your story? How would you like to write the next part of your story? You know, there's the beginnings of your story and there's right now in your story and then there's future story. And how do you want to work with that and play with that? You know, how does your story fit in with the overall storyline of queerness overall, you know, and the queerness of the universe and the queerness of the multi dimensions and the multi times and all the things, you know, even now I'm starting to kind of frame it in this linear way, but I don't believe that's what queer story is. It's, it's spiralic and who knows what it is. I can't, I can't describe what it is because it's queer, <laughs> you know, like it's everything. Um, and so I really wanted to invite queer people to grab hold of their story and own their story, you know, and um, do with their story what they what they want, you know, and to come together in community with other queer people who have their own stories and listen to each other's stories and help each other work with their stories in new ways. So this is all very much a part of what this conference is meant to be. So how do we go about doing that? Well, there, I wanted there to be as many doorways and thresholds to cross through as possible. And so I didn't want this to just be a tarot conference or an astrology conference. I wanted this to present as many modalities as possible, you know, within a given, you know, financial limitation. And, um, you know, I had, I had time limitations and things like that. And this is something that I hope to do year after year. So for this year, you know, what could I, what could I offer in a mystical lens, as I said, and I say that because this conference, I want to be clear, is not for magical, mystical, spiritual people only. This is certainly not for tarot people only. This is not for astrology people only. Really, what I would love and hope is that people who have never touched those modalities will attend this conference and just be offered those modalities as new ways to touch into their queer story. You know, this conference is queer first and mystical and esoteric second, you know? And so if you're listening to this and you want to attend this conference and you also think there's someone else you know in your life that would want to attend, but they're not necessarily a magical quote unquote person, please, please share this information with them. Please invite them to come and please tell them that they will not feel left out that this conference is really to bring queer people together and to celebrate queerness primarily. So I started to think through the different modalities that I wanted to offer. And 
certainly I wanted to offer tarot, but like I said, I only wanted to offer one, you know, tarot offering and my friend and my uh, inspiration and uh, just fabulous, fabulous human being, Charlie Claire Burgess, who is the creator of the Fifth Spirit Tarot, who has been here on the podcast, who will be uh, our next guest host uh, coming up next week, is going to lead a amazing class in using tarot as a tool for non-binary thinking. So that's the tarot piece. Then I wanted to, I wanted to include narrative, right? I wanted to include some kind of story element. And Amy DeGenero, who is someone that I have only recently met through a separate container that I'm part of, works professionally as a narrative therapist. And narrative therapy is new to me. Maybe it's new to you as well. Um, but it basically is using narrative and story as a therapeutic tool. And so this will be a class that Amy will lead on working with narrative therapy. Then Edgar Fabian Fries, who may be familiar to a lot of you, who is a, a witch and an artist and a, uh, you know, I would say a magician, a tarot reader, all the things, um, is going to lead a class that they are calling Tactile and Spontaneous Divination. And it sounds absolutely fabulous. Um, it's an entry point into divination as a tool that is relevant and immediate and emergent. You know, in, in this moment now, in your emergent needs today, in this moment, what, what does that mean for your divinatory practice? Um, you know, how can it be responsive to, to this day and age and, and this particular moment in the midst of all the horrifying um, legislation that's going on and in the midst of Pride Month, you know? Um, Jonathan is going to be leading a marginal astrology uh, class workshop um, that will be kind of looking at void and chaos as a marginal power and sort of the, the, the place of that in the chart, you know, like the space and the, and the chaos, which I think is very cool. Um, also, I believe touching on Chiron, who is the wounded healer archetype in astrology, um, and then looking at some participants' actual charts and basically just giving participants a queer entry point into working with astrology and into their chart. Um, Elias Lallier, who was just on the podcast last week, if you heard that episode, they talked about um, snake medicine and the shedding process. And that is gonna be a, a big part of their workshop. They're calling Exploring Gender Through Snake Medicine. So go back and listen to that episode. Uh, Eli explains the way that snakes shed. It's fascinating, I had no idea. And uses that metaphor of the snake shedding its skin as a way to kind of shed and explore gender and kind of play with gender. Um, then Sophie Strand, who's been on the podcast twice, who is, I mean, I don't think needs any introduction here, but is an, an, a remarkable, remarkable um, poet, writer, thinker, teacher, philosopher, ecologist, I mean, just an amazing human being, is going to be leading us through Rebels of Gender, Myth, and Ecology, uh, which I'm super excited about. Sophie has a wide uh a wide, wide knowledge of mythology and, but brings it into a real earthiness and brings it into a relevancy of the here and now and of the ecology and, and uh, place that we're in now. And so I can't wait to uh, hear Sophie kind of explode some, some myths um, 
and bringing kind of rebels of gender into the earth will be super cool. Um, and then Jason Perez is going to be leading a workshop on the teachings of Gloria Anzaldúa, who, if you're not familiar, I really suggest looking up the book Borderlands. Um, Gloria Anzaldúa's teachings talk a lot about something called Napantla, which is basically the margin. I mean, this is one of the texts that I first came across um, as I was starting to explore the margin and has been incredibly um, just very influential on my thinking. And it's the same kind of liminality that comes from, in Gloria's teachings, the experience of being from two places or kind of having no home when you are a migrant or someone that that was born somewhere who's first generation, uh, whose family, you know, comes from somewhere else and this feeling of being everywhere and nowhere, you know, and the power of that liminality and the experience of that. Um, so I really am excited for Jason to lead that class. I knew I wanted Gloria's teachings to be part of this conference. And then finally, my very good friend, Chanti Takaranto Perez is going to lead a class that she is calling, I'm looking here, resting in marginal archetypes. So Chanti's work has kind of a few pieces, but a big part of this will be uh, Chanti's work in Yoga Nidra, which is the sort of yoga of rest and going kind of slow and slowing down to allow things to emerge. But also Chanti is currently finishing up her PhD in Jungian psychology, Jungian depth psychology, and has been the number one clearest source on what even archetypes are and how to work with them that I've ever encountered. Chanti really, if you go back and listen to the episode on the podcast featuring Chanti, it's very, very helpful and clarifying as to what archetypal image is versus what archetypes are. And a part of this workshop is going to be actually participants creating an archetypal image of the margin, which will be unique for each person and kind of working with that and letting that emerge out of a field of rest that Chanti will lead people through. So it's very robust. Um, it's very, uh, you know, lots of different um, ways in, but like I said, all funneling into the same idea of empowerment and uh, coming into a relationship with marginal identity that is not, uh, that is not weakening, you know, that is not um, oppressed, but it is empowering. And I want to be clear to say that I'm not suggesting that being marginalized is a positive experience. Um, it's not. It's a painful, horrible, oppressive experience that, you know, people should not have to go through. And yet, I find it personally helpful to reclaim and restory marginalization for myself and to kind of reach in and be like, wait a second, like, if, like, who's running this narrative? You know, who's saying that being different is bad like who's saying that being uh coming being non-legible or non-understandable is a negative thing you know for me it feels really empowering to think this is part of who i am this is part of my lineage this is the source of my power and so yeah it's hard to be in a world that doesn't always understand me but i can know that the less understandable that i am the more marginal i am and that's powerful you know so I, I hope that it feels that way. We have an um, incredible group of participants. The response for the conference has been really amazing. And the teachers are absolutely incredible. I also want you to know, just as I talk about it, that every one of these facilitators is being compensated. What I believe is a fair compensation. Um, I always, of course, wish that I could give more, but I do feel that it's a fair compensation. 
Um, and therefore, I really am not making really any money from this conference. It's really funneling in and right back out uh, to these facilitators. So I just want to kind of be transparent and, and share that with you. I also want you to know if this interests you that there are a few different price points for the conference. There's the general admission cost, which if that is something that you're able to afford, you know, please know that that money does help the compensation of these facilitators. Then there is a drag and trans visibility rate, which is for members of those communities who are definitely in most need of our support and uh, lifting up right now. And then there's a student rate. And students I'm identifying as anywhere between ages 18 and 22. So again, if you know any young people that are in the queer community with you that you think would be interested in this, whether or not they are magically inclined, please feel free to share the information with them. Um, I've really tried to keep the student rate as low as I absolutely possibly could financially and make, make this all happen. Um, but if any of these levels are still not within reach for you, please reach out to me. I've heard from a few people already that have asked you know, for some um, special uh, uh, arrangements to be made. And I'm more than happy to do that because um, this is for the marginalized community. And with that comes some very oppressive systemic problems that, you know, limit financial uh, a possibility for people. So please reach out um, and please join me next month. I would love, love to have you there. Um, I just feel so passionately about this conference and I'm so excited to see what comes from it. Um, the, the breadth of, of what's being presented is, is just amazing to me and the people that are doing it are incredible. And I just, I'm just so excited about it. Um, so registration is open. It kicks off June 4th. Um, I'm going to drop the link to register in the show notes for this episode, but you can also visit man of the slash meet me at the margin. And I will say also that if you are a fan of this podcast and if you have been considering joining us on Patreon, this is a great time to do so because Patreon members will also receive a 15% discount on registration. And that's on top of all of these other discounts that I've already mentioned. So for as little as $2 a month, you can join us on the Patreon community. We actually have a hang coming up. We do monthly tarot hangs. There's one coming up uh, at the end of this month that you could join for. And it's an awesome community. I share essays over there, discounts such as for this conference, um, early releases of episodes, and uh, other things as they come along. So uh, as low as $2 a month, you can join us there. So thank you for listening. Um, I hope that the this was inspiring. I hope this was clarifying as to what this conference is. I've been talking about it a lot, but it's a it's a big idea. It's complicated. So um, it's marginal, you know, so I wanted to come on here and try to kind of just clarify and um, talk about it a bit and about my ideas behind it. But um, yeah, I'm, I just, I love all of you. I love, I love especially my queer listeners, uh, whoever you are, wherever you are, just thank you for being here. And I would love to meet you at the margin next month. In Search of Tarot is independently written, recorded, edited, and transcribed by Nick Kepley and Angie Miller. You can follow Angie on Instagram at birdgirl underscore, that's B-I-R-D-G-E-R-H-L underscore, and you can follow me, Nick, on Instagram at In Search of Tarot. Have a question or a comment? Email us at isotpod at gmail.com. We also invite you to leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.